The end of Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 are two back-to-back stories about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was and is a day to put down work and rest. It's a rhythm that goes all the way back to the first page of the Bible. But remember, the whole Bible is one unified story that all points to Jesus. And so the important question to ask is, what did Jesus have to say about the Sabbath? And that is what today's story is all about. Welcome to Season 6 of Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. In this season, we are walking through Mark's Gospel. Our hope is that these short episodes will lead you into more, into a time of reading, reflection, prayer, whatever it is for you. The goal is that you let the amazing story about the Savior of the world transform the way you live out your life today. The typically crowded streets of Capernaum were empty, the same way they had been every seventh day since John could remember. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. His father Zebedee had instilled that value in him since he was young. They fished every other day of the week, but never stayed out past sunset on the sixth day, and never so much as looked at their fishing nets until the sun was down on the seventh. Even when times were tough and food was limited, the Sabbath was a command, and they kept it. And yet, he had never remembered enjoying the Sabbath as much as he had these past few weeks. While following Jesus, the Sabbath was just as holy, taken just as seriously, and yet, Something about it felt lighter, more natural, more life-giving. The Sabbath was made for man, Jesus often reminded them, not man for the Sabbath. John couldn't help but smile as Jesus led them into the same synagogue he grew up going to on every Sabbath as a kid. He walked through the doors and smelled the familiar scent, the same decorations that had hung from the walls for decades, the same robes, the same people, the same small talk. There was always something soothing about the familiarity. However, one thing was different. John noticed almost immediately that there was someone else present, a man he'd never seen before in the corner, keeping to himself. John couldn't help but notice the long sleeves he wore, even in the middle of the day in the hottest time of the year. The synagogue was notoriously hot, making the long services almost unbearable with short sleeves, let alone a long cloak. As John continued to scan, he quickly realized Jesus was a step ahead of him, already making his way towards the man to introduce himself. John, a self-proclaimed introvert, was just getting used to these types of moments, learning how to embrace how forward his rabbi was, longing to find the same type of courage in these social settings. Ever the observer, John quickly noticed another dynamic at play. The Pharisees present were eyeing Jesus suspiciously. News about the rabbi was spreading fast. They knew about the healings, the demons being cast out, the tax collectors getting a second chance. They were watching Jesus like a hawk, as if they had a trap and he was walking right into it. New wineskin for the new wine, John whispered to himself, trying to calm the nerves. John watched his rabbi glance around the room. He was beginning to realize that Jesus was always a step ahead of everyone, knowing full well the tension that everyone was feeling. Stand up in front of everyone, Jesus said to the man. 
Fear flashed in the man's eyes as he began shaking his head, a silent plea to let it go. John's stomach dropped. Apparently, there was no avoiding this conflict. Jesus was about to take it head on. The Pharisees got up, hunters closing in on their prey. Jesus gave the man a reassuring nod, and then his face became vicious as he spun and faced the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, Jesus demanded, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. The Pharisees just stared at him in silence. John had never seen such a look on the rabbi's face. Anger, deeply distraught, not at the man, but at the whole system. A system that was set up to help humans flourish, but was now being used to overlook the tangible needs standing right in front of them. The vicious look rooted in frustration quickly turned to empathy as he turned back to the man. Stretch out your hand, he said calmly but confidently. He stretched it out. And as he did, fear gave way to awe. The entire room went still as the man gasped. He pulled up the sleeve of his cloak, the hand that was withered now completely restored. He stared at his new hand, moving each finger one at a time, then rotating his wrist around and around. With the smile of a man freed from chronic pain, he looked up at Jesus, tears of gratitude welling in his eyes. Thank you. Thank you, he managed to say. Jesus only nodded. The Pharisees spun around, faces full of anger, and shoved open the doors to head outside, no doubt going to meet and figure out a way to end this movement once and for all. New wineskins for the new wine, John whispered again to himself. From the first two chapters of the Bible, it becomes clear that humans are created for both work and rest. God creates for six days, and then he rests on the seventh. He puts Adam in the garden to work it and keep it, but then invites him to take the Sabbath rest. Now, by Exodus 20, the second book of the Bible, honoring the Sabbath has become one of the Ten Commandments. And by the time Jesus enters the scene, it had become such an important part of the religious rhythm that many people had lost sight of the initial goal, to bring life-restoring rest to you every single week. So much so that Jesus brings restoration to a man on the Sabbath, and all the religious leaders can do is major on how Jesus broke the law. But as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to do something with the Sabbath. You have to be really honest about the fact that work was a huge part of Jesus' ministry, that we are called to make disciples and move the ball forward, but that we are also called to rest. We are here to work and rest. I've noticed over the years that some of us are really good at working and really bad at resting, but that others of us are really good at resting and really bad at working. Being human means learning to strike a balance between the two, to work and rest, rest and work. In his book, Garden City, which I recommend if you'd like a good starting point for this topic, John Mark Comer says it this way, work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you will never learn how to work well and vice versa. After all, the opposite of work isn't rest, it's sleep. 
work and rest are friends, not enemies. They are a bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. And so, today, remember that you are created for both work and rest. If you tend to get stuck working, practice taking a deep breath today. Put your work down for an hour. Let it go. Trust that God's got the whole world in the palm of his hand. And on the other hand, if you tend to get stuck resting and have a hard time finding the courage to get back in the game, maybe after you got laid off or a plan didn't work out, remember you are also created for work. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has good plans and good opportunities for you today because you were created to rest and you were created to work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. We hope season six is bringing Mark's gospel to life for you and that this episode helped you see the bigger picture Mark is painting for us. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to share it with your friends and rating and review it goes a long way as well. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate coming along for the ride. So we'll see you next time for our next story.